You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. Well, as Hannah was sharing earlier in Casey, this is the first day of the season of Advent. This is kind of like the Christian New Year. This is when we rehearse the story throughout the year of the life of Jesus. We are used to culturally ushering into this joyous holiday season. I'm pretty sure like Costco puts up Christmas decorations in like March at this point. So everyone is so ready for the actual celebration. But I love that the Christian calendar doesn't begin with the joyous jubilation. It begins with something very different, not with light, but with darkness. So many have said how much they don't love how busy this season is. Well, Advent doesn't start with speeding up. Advent actually starts with slowing down. We're focused a lot on right now what we're going to buy and give to other people, but Advent doesn't start with what we buy. Advent actually starts with what we need. Christmas is coming, yes, and we will celebrate, we will anticipate, we will do all of these things, but Advent calls us to stop and wait, to feel that ache and longing for the world as we want it to be. And so, if you are here today and you have all of your ducks in order, you are entirely self-sufficient in this, then I'm not sure you're going to get a lot out of the season of Advent. But if you feel the ache of the world right now, if you feel heaviness in your story right now, Advent is for you. If you are right now feeling the the, the weight of disappointment, the doubt and confusion that you feel in your own story, Advent is for you. If you are in the midst of dealing with broken relationships and broken promises and broken dreams, Advent is, is for you. Or if you just feel walking into a room like this, the brokenness in your own life, in your own story, and you're just longing for wholeness, there's good news. We want you to know that Advent is for you. In our passage today that we just heard in Isaiah 64, it does not shy away from this darkness. We see it in the very first verse that we're going to look at here again. Isaiah 64 verse 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations in your life where you feel so helpless, so frustrated by your circumstances that everything in you starts to well up, all of your emotions and your weariness, and suddenly it just erupts to the surface. Have you ever been there? That's what we're reading in these moments. When we hear these verses, and so many verses like this in the Scriptures, we shouldn't read, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, as if like Ceres reading this. When we hear this, we should hear, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. We should feel it. And sometimes actually feeling the Scriptures is the way we fully know them. We should understand and feel the ache of these words. He's saying, God, why won't you just break through all of this? 
tear open the skies as we know it and come down. This is a holy outburst on behalf of Isaiah. This is the kind of prayer that you pray in frustration that you just can't get what you need in this moment. You are desperate. You are at the end of your rope. And the context of this is a people who have lived under the weight of oppression for generations. So decades before, the Israelites were conquered by Babylon. They've been living under the weight of their empire, trying to just wrestle out every bit of their identity. And now Persia has defeated Babylon, so they're under this new empire. And Persia has done this thing where they, they allow some of the folks from Israel to return to the promised land. So as they return to the promised land, what they see is that everything is destroyed. The temples in ruins, this is something that they did not expect. So the God that they heard about in this place was far more rumor than reality. It's something that their fathers and their mothers had talked about and had sang about, but that's not what was right in front of their eyes. They had heard these stories from their parents about God's power and His provision, but all they had in this moment was stories. I mean, this is a spiritual crisis that many of us face today. Maybe you identify with this, that I've been raised to believe in a God that I've never actually experienced myself. Christianity is something I am by association, by culture, by preference, but it's not something I know by experience. Do you know how many conversations I have with people like that? Some people, I'm sure, in this room know the feeling of believing in a God that seems like something everybody else gets to experience. But you, for some reason, you're on the outside looking in. And the people we meet here in Isaiah 64, they are in this spiritual crisis. They, they know what's true about God but they have failed to live out what they believe. God is more rumor than reality. Don't you know this, though, that you can know something to be true about God and yet in no way experience it for yourselves, right? You can have an intellectual understanding, a theology of who God might be, but at the very same time have no experience whatsoever with those theological beliefs. That's what's happening here. Look down at verse 4. It says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. You come to, help the, come to the help of those who gladly do what's right, who remember your ways. Beautiful, profound, important truth. The kind of truth you cut out and you put on a coffee mug that you wake up and drink out of every morning. But, there's a but right after that. It says, but, when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? It says sin against them. What is he talking about here? He's talking about sinning against the ways of the Lord. In other words, we knew the right answers we knew what was true about you. We knew what it meant to walk in the way of life and wholeness, but we didn't. We didn't. And here we are, 
at the end of our rope with nowhere to turn, asking this profoundly important question for the season of Advent, how can we be saved? Can I speak to something really difficult that we need to deal with in the Scriptures today? God, God does not coerce our love. God does not force our obedience upon us. God doesn't make robots. He makes image bearers that He desires love from. But when we choose to take hold of that for which God does not desire for us, not our wholeness and our good, guess what He does? He allows us to have what we want. When we choose what, what is outside of what God's best is for us, He gives it to us. There's a lot of uncomfortable talk in the Scriptures, a lot in Isaiah about God's wrath and God's anger. But in reality, when we talk about the wrath of God, the wrath of God, all it is is giving us what we want when we don't want Him. It's God allowing us to go after that which is not what He desires, not what is the fullness of life and wholeness. And this anger that we read about in the Scriptures is a God that is angry because He aches for you to take hold of life and love and fullness. As a parent, you understand this. Sometimes your kids, you, you know what is best for them, and they run in the opposite direction. And you know that your anger is not an anger of, I want to destroy you. Well, maybe sometimes it is, if I think about it. But most of the time, your anger is not an anger of destruction. It is an anger that's rooted in an ache. Why can't you see what life is for you. I want you to take hold of that. That's what we read about in the Scriptures, is a God who, when we see Him express these emotions in His fullness, is an expression of a deep and profound love for us, not a desire to see us destroyed. I mean, listen to back to verses 6 and 7. It says, this is Isaiah speaking. He says, all of us have become one, like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the winds, our sins sweep us away. And this next statement I find so heartbreaking to hear. It says, no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you've hidden your face from us, and, and you've given us over to our sins. What's happening here? and maybe you can identify with this feeling, is why would you seek a God if you've, you're convinced that He's already given up on you? Why, 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 why enter into a relationship with a God who is already angry and giving up on you, who's already holding you at a distance? What Isaiah is expressing is, you've already turned us over to these things. We have already ran away from you. So surely, surely, you don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. So, so, so we feel like you're, you're a million miles away because we're the ones who've turned from you. Why would we seek you or experience you? Because we've run off. We pushed ourselves away. I want to connect this passage to something that I guarantee you have felt or, or maybe are feeling right now, a question that is extremely important. What, what do you and I do 
when we feel far from God? What, what do we do when this ache within us? There's a lot of reasons why this could, could happen, why we might feel far from God. Maybe you've walked through seasons of suffering and trauma, and after everything that's happened to you, you just spiritually feel numb. Or maybe what we're reading today is, is more akin to your experience. Maybe you have taken an honest look at, at your sin and to brokenness and the ways that you've strayed away from the way of life, and you're just sure, you're sure because of this that God is rejecting you, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with a sinner like you. Or maybe another part of this passage connects with you, that you see that I, I've, I've believed in this God that everybody else seems to experience, but me, I'm on the outside looking in, and I just feel like he's far away because he just seems to be present in everybody else's life, but, but not me. Listen, over the years, I have sat across many, many, many tables drinking coffee with people who have been in these situations, feeling like in their faith they are lost or they're, they're numb or they just feel overwhelming shame because of what's happened in their life or they just feel all of these things, everything at one time, and they don't know what to do. And there's a lot of things that run through your mind in these moments. Am I too far gone? Have I walked too far away for God to be able to redeem what has happened in my life? Am I losing my faith? Is that, is that what's happening? Do I really believe what I thought I did? All of this stuff, if you've experienced this, you know all of this begins swirling around in you, and it feels like this storm that won't subside. And I know, I want you to know, that's a scary place, and I understand that. So what I want to share with the rest of my time today is just some wisdom of what I've learned from those seasons in my own story and what I've learned from many conversations with people who've been in that boat, because I wouldn't make you raise your hand in a room like this and say, that's me right now, yay, but I bet you've been there. Some of you, maybe you're there right now. The first thing I want you to see is in Isaiah 64, and encourage you in this, is when you feel far from God, it's important to center the character of God and not the condition of your faith. Center the character of God and not the condition of your faith. Here's what I mean by this, and please don't miss this today. There is a difference between having faith in God and having faith in your faith in God. There is a difference between having faith in who God is and having faith in how strong your faith feels. Listen, when you get into these places where you understand that faith is a feeling of how much I feel like I am in it, how I am performing, if you fail or falter or do not feel it, it feels as if God is distance. If I have faith in my faith in God, then every time I feel like I am met, don't measure up, every time I sin or turn away, every time I experience doubt or confusion or I'm struggling to believe, then I'm losing God in the process because I don't have faith in God. I have faith in my faith in God, and there's a difference, right? But if my faith is in God, I can walk through these seasons, I can walk through these questions and longings, and I can anchor my heart into who He is 
and not what I feel. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. If we are faithless, guess what? He remains, what? Faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Hear me today. The condition of my faith, of your faith, does not sway the character of God. Your faith, my faith, ebbs, flows, falters constantly, but God does not. It's why we see the brutal honesty in this passage today ending with, yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We, all, we are all the work of your hand. Isaiah turns our attention not to the condition of our faith, but to the character of God. He is our Father. He is our maker who molds and shapes our life, who even in sin and doubt and disillusionment is forming us and reforming us into the character of Christ. And if this is true, then when God feels distant, I can trust His nearness in even what feels like absence because I don't rely on the condition of my faith. I rely on the character of my God because of who He is. And luckily, we have the witness of so many of the fathers and, and mothers of our faith that have gone before us and walked through what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, and they've reminded us this witness, this reminder that when we walk through these desert seasons where it feels like we don't know what we're doing, these can often be the places not of death but of renewal. The places where our lives are utterly turned around when we learn the character of God in the midst of what we suffer. One example, Kentucky's own Thomas Merton writes, God, who is everywhere, never leaves us, yet He seems sometimes to be present, sometimes to be absent. If we don't know Him well, we do not realize that He may be more present to us when He is absent than when He's present. Think about that. When I learn and I lean on the character of God as the foundation of my faith, then the presence of God is no longer a matter of what I feel or how I perform. Meaning that I can walk into a room like this and I don't feel it, right? Some Sundays you walk in here, you ain't feeling it, right? But God is present and love and His fullness is here. Or there's weeks you'll come in here and you are joyful and your hands are raised and you're in it and you're wooing. I'm not, maybe not wooing. Nobody woos around here. But you're excited. I wish you would. Come on. I started it. Yes. Keep it up. Maybe you don't feel it that day. Maybe you feel it. But what you can anchor your faith on is as we gather and as we scatter too and go our separate ways, God is present and at work because it's not a matter of how I feel. It's not a matter of how good I perform. The character of God tells us, reminds us He is present in love. And that is such good news. It's why Isaiah has the ability to be so brutally honest. I was thinking this week, I hope I get the courage enough to pray and talk to God as honestly as the Bible does. Because sometimes I'm not sure I do. Listen what he says again. He makes this statement, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Do you hear what he's saying here? 
even our attempts to do good and do right are empty. He's not just naming sin in this passage. Isaiah is naming the facade of our goodness. We're just doing this, and it's empty. We're doing what's right, and it's empty because we don't know who we are. You don't see that in the Scriptures. You don't see that in prayer, let alone have the courage to name something like that unless you feel safe in the presence of God. You don't feel courage enough to be able to name the ache and the longing and the hurt and the disappointment and the disillusion and the doubt unless you feel safe to know God ain't going nowhere if I do. And thank goodness that's what the truth is today. And why you can bring your whole self to God and worship in a room like this or on your own at home or with your community group, you can bring your whole self because we're anchoring ourselves in who God is and not what we feel as it ebbs and flows in our faith. This is why we center ourselves, center our community, center our faith on the character of God and not the condition of it. Because if it's true, I know I can bring my whole self. And because of this, and this is something I've watched time and time again in my life and your life and so many people's stories, is that these moments of spiritual crisis become moments of spiritual clarity. Moments where there is breakthrough because we have the courage to meet God as He actually is. And as we meet God as He actually is, we can meet ourselves as we actually are. This distance that we feel, it opens this door for us to see God and see ourselves in a way that we could not see otherwise. Sometimes these moments where we feel like God is absent starts to stir in us a reminder that we have grown stagnant and cold and spiritually dead. It opens our eyes to the ways that we have grown complacent in our faith and apathetic towards the ways of God. And most importantly, it allows us in these places to reawaken our hunger for God, if we allow it. And that's why I want to ask a question this morning as we close this time, a question I would want to ask of myself and of you. Have I grown so full that I forgot what it feels like to be hungry? Have I become so spiritually self-satisfied and sufficient on my own that I've forgotten what it's like to know my need. The truth is, is I can't wait on God to provide for that which I believe I already have. If I am spiritually self-sufficient as if I have everything I need, I'll enter into the season of Advent just wanting Jesus to be the side piece to everything else that I'm already pursuing. But if I allow moments like this to reawaken what it feels like to be hungry for God, to reawaken what it means to know my need for a Savior, something beautiful can happen. That's what I've prayed for you this week. That this season, as we move into Advent, would be an opportunity to reawaken our hunger for God. An opportunity to boldly and honestly name the ways that you and I have become complacent, to recognize the ways in which God is more rumor than reality for us, 
What if what you are right now, where you are, what you feel, this distance, this ache, this longing, what if that's not a hindrance but actually a gift? What if it's an opportunity? What if God is renewing your hunger and calling you back to him this morning? I want to close with this powerful quote from a pastor I love named Mark Sayers. He prays this, and I think it's a reminder of what I'm hoping as we begin the Christian New Year as a community, what it means to step forward into this renewal. He writes, renewal comes when we are sick and by our false guides and the broken promises of our impotent idols and ideologies. When we are shattered by our striving and our pathetic attempts at saving ourselves, we fall into the arms of Christ to be remade without caveats and compromises. Exhausted and emptied, we can be filled by Him. When we read the histories of those who God used powerfully in moments of renewal and revival, we see that they were not always those who were the most talented, connected, or charismatic. Rather, they had all come to the end of themselves. Lord, that's what I want to pray for us today as individuals and as a community. Jesus, would you reawaken our hunger? Jesus, would you renew in us what it feels like to be in need? Would you give us a holy discontent for staying the way things are? Would you help us to confront our spiritual stagnancy? Would you help us confront the way things have grown cold in our hearts toward you? Would you help us see the way that cynicism, dejection, and wounds, and weariness have caused us to hold you at an arm's length? we are full, Lord, I pray that you would empty us. Empty us in the ways that the world has promised to fulfill our desires and longings, and may we once again feel the ache for a Savior. Feel the hunger, Lord, for you to stir in us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. What we do after the message every week, this is a time of response. We most notably take communion together. And we take these elements, the cracker on top representing the body of Christ broken for us, the blood representing, or the juice representing the blood shed for our sins. Weekly, this tangible reminder of tasting and seeing what the Lord is doing in our lives. We have some on this table here. Some right back there in this chair, some in the lobby as well. I just want to encourage you this morning. You don't have to do this, but we, we love to be able to share this common meal together, reminding us that we are united with Christ and you are united with one another. And most importantly in communion, rem reminding us that at great distance, God in Jesus Christ came and became like us, took on our flesh and our weakness and our frailty and all of our sin and on the cross the distance between God and 
us was forever closed in Jesus Christ. So we remember this morning we have been united.